Guy here. You're listening to an audio broadcast of Market Call. That's MRKT Call. It's a daily video series I do with Dan Nathan every Monday through Thursday live at 1 p.m. Eastern. We break down the big market moving headlines and offer trade ideas. Each week, we're joined by our friends Carter Worth of Worth Charting and Liz Young, that's EY of SoFi, for their investment analysis. So check it out. And if you like it, follow at Market Call on on Twitter and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media's YouTube page so you never miss an episode. This is Market Call. It is MRKT oh. Call. I'm Dan Nathan. That is Liz Young. You guys, EY from SoFi, LY from SoFi. What do you prefer? You know what? I'll I'll take any of you'll, it. You'll take either. Um, Guy will be back on Monday. So really? you and I are going to pod with Guy Monday morning, first thing. That would be on the tape. So if you guys want a setup for the week ahead, that's what we're going to do on Monday um, with Liz. But today's market call is brought to you by our partners, at FactSet, you know that the data and analytics that are powered by tomorrow, they power this fine show, they power this brain uh, of Ooh. mine there a little bit. And obviously, um, SoFi, get your money right all in one app. And Liz is here to help you do that today. Um, you do that you know, with me almost every day here. So uh, <laughs> a little bit. I see you a lot. I know, way too much, right? Um, but we're having a lot of fun with this stuff here. Like, what do you think? The studio is pretty dope, right? As I the think kids it's say. Dope. Isn't that yeah. what the kids, like your members at SoFi would say? They use that term dope a lot. I don't know if they use that really? term anymore. I don't know any of the terminology. You should ask my analyst. He thinks I'm a boomer. All right. So Mario, your analyst, shout out yeah. right there. Um, are you guys doing um, a lot of interaction with like members? Are you guys doing events for them? Are you doing like we webinars and stuff yeah. like that? And so yeah. what sort of feedback are you getting like year over year? You know what I mean? Because last year was like, you were probably trying to keep them all from like jumping out of a window because their NFTs yeah. went to zero and their crypto <laughs> went to zero. No, I mean that. Yeah. Like, I'm just saying in general, I'm not saying that those are things that you were hawking by any means. This is something that that demographic was certainly into. And you know, one of the things that's kind of interesting to me in 2021 and in 2022 is like this new investor, like was, mm -hmm. you know, they were excited about SPACs and they were excited about crypto and they were excited about like unprofitable tech Memes. companies and meme stocks and, and, and all that sort of stuff. And what they hadn't experienced was a bear market, right? They could have thrown a dart and things were just going up and they were like making a lot of money. And then last year, I mean, it was really hard to make money on the long side in yeah. almost anything. So I'm just curious now, here we are, we're three and a half months into the year, stock market's up, things feel generally better. Do investors in that demographic, do they feel better? Uh, they do feel better. Yeah. And I will say, even at the end of last year, we conducted a survey and what it came out with was, I think it was either 72 or 73 percent of the people that took that survey yeah. said that they were still going to invest or invest even more despite the bear market that they had just experienced. So some of it is surprising, right? They're, they definitely were interested in crypto yep. for a while. And as the market cap of crypto fell, obviously the amount that was held fell. But it wasn't as much as you thought. They didn't have as much in crypto as you thought. It was like, I don't know, I think 11 or 12% max at Which the top. Which is actually pretty impressive. You, you mean like yeah. there was like proper diversification there in was. portfolios? There was proper diversification, okay. yes, a, away from crypto. Yeah. However, the top stocks held across the platform still were the ones that got hit pretty hard. The number one stock on the platform 
was, and I believe still is, maybe not after today, but was Tesla. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure we're going to get into some of that later. Oh, but that, oh we will. That was the biggest on one held on, on the platform. Um, and if you took the top 10 stocks that our members held and looked at the performance over 2022, down about 50%. So yeah. they did. They had a rough year, but many of them still constructive on investing into 2023, which I think is a good thing. And to your point, they hadn't seen a bear market. They hadn't seen a classic bear market, yeah. right? I mean, they saw a very brief one during COVID, if that's when they started to get interested, but they didn't see the bear markets that we talk about, the bear markets that we've learned about and that we've watched over history, one that's prolonged, one that has multiple failures at getting out of, right? Which is Which exactly we what we might we're be in one right now Correct. still. Right. I mean, when you think about that, if you yeah. just kind of look at a chart, you know, go back to 00 um, to the lows in early 03, I mean, there were no shortages of 30% plus rallies, you know, in a bear market in a series of lower highs, you know, and listen, you know, I think it's interesting what you just mentioned, though, about the COVID bear, we dropped 35% from its highs February 20th, 2020, to the lows in March, late March, I would like literally, so you're thinking about that it was like, five or six weeks tops. And then months later, we're making we're back above, you know, what I mean, like certain levels here, and we're off to the races. And I think that probably did that generation of investors a massive disservice, right? Yeah. When you think about it, because, um, you know, there was no reason to have any fear of a downdraft. And so we're kind of seeing that right now, I think. Um, look at that. I mean, 30, I think that was the fastest 35% drop in the S&P 500 in it its was. history or something like it was. that. Yeah. And listen, you know, and one thing while we have this chart up here, it's a beautiful, um, you know, like, uh, what is that, a four, four-year chart here? I mean, listen, that looks like and we've been saying this you know is 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 as bearish as you think we are on the fundamentals and, and the, when i say we i'm not including you i'm saying guy myself maybe danny moses um that chart technically looks kind of constructive looks like it's trying to make um a little bit of a bottom and so you know that's the thing i mean how much do you think about or how much do you use technicals liz i know that you're doing primarily fundamental work you're mm -hmm. looking at all the day we're going to talk about some of the data out today but like do you flash up charts. Uh, is it important to you to just kind of get a sense of what other people are looking at also from the picture? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have to pay attention to what the momentum is doing yeah. and what the trends in the market are doing. And this year, especially the technicals are sending completely different signals yeah. than what I believe fundamentally. And after it lasted, you know, a month, two months, I had to take a look and say, what am I missing? Who are these buyers? Why are they buying? And is there a reason out there that I'm not seeing I still can't come up with a good fundamental reason to buy it, despite the fact that the chart looked pretty constructive yeah. and that there was momentum. The one thing I would say is, and I think we've probably mentioned this before, that V-shaped bounce, a lot of that was due to the fact that we went back, you know, zero rates. We yep. had all of this stimulus. The Fed saved us. The government saved everything, right? We were saved by so many different things. So the muscle memory, not only for a really strong V-shaped bounce, but also for low rates mean good things for the stocks, good things for the economy, yep. everything that's still in people's heads. So every time we get a little bit of a move down in rates that lasts more than a couple of weeks, it's like, oh, we're off to the races. Everything's going to be fine, especially yeah. in growth stocks. And you get all this by the dip. I just still don't. I'm, I'm not sold yet that that 
can be the case. Well, I still think the business cycle has to reset and it hasn't. Let's pull up the 10-year chart, the uh, the 10-year US Treasury chart because I think that's a really interesting point and you see, you know, the 2-year is above 4%. You see Fed funds on May 3rd is very likely. I think the CME Fed uh, funds tracker is showing a more than 70% chance that we're going to have 5% down on the Fed mm -hmm. funds rate. But then your question is, all right, well the 10-year, I get it, you know, if the 2-year is more of a function of what the Fed is doing on the short end, the 10-year is reflective of something else and you know, we're we're kind of mm -hmm. straddling this kind of three and a half percent level. It's also the 200 day moving average. And if we were to go meaningfully lower to your point, okay, well maybe longer duration assets might like, like that. Maybe the algos would like that, but why are they going lower? You know, we've mm -hmm. talked a lot about that. And so I don't know who knows like that. We're going to keep checking uh, that chart. One thing on the technicals, I think this is interesting. Carl Quintanilla um, retweeted um, this gentleman. Um, I can't say his last name, so I'm not going to try, but you can see the tweet up there <laughs> from Baird. Um, and he's talking about a golden cross. Okay. So you see the upward sloping 50 in the 200 day. Um, you know, it, it's not apparent on this short term chart that we have um, right here. But when I look at this thing and, and I say to myself, okay, expectations for Q1 earnings have come down. We're going to get in the meat of them next week with all the big tech earnings. Um, and I say to myself, what I've seen so far is not particularly great. I, I don't think that tech is going to outperform even with lowered expectations. And the S&P has had a tough time just below those February lows. You look at that steep uptrend that's been in from the lows in early March. You see that 200-day moving average down there at 39.50. I really think the healthiest thing for this chart right here, if you are bullish, would be a check back towards that 200-day moving average yeah. on fundamental news. Put a little fear back in the market. We talked about the VIX yesterday. I talked about the trade that I put on the VIX um, in May expiration about the 2030 call spread. Okay, paid about a dollar for that. The VIX is now, um, you know, it got up to 17 or so today. So Liz, what do you make of like people tweeting out, that's a meme, the, the golden cross for all intents and purposes. I don't think it means anything, but the idea that a little fear back in the market could actually be bullish for stocks. First of all, as a former Baird employee, yeah. I will say his last name. It's Michael Antonelli. Okay. Uh, so the golden cross thing, look, we've had a number of different crosses throughout this cycle. Yeah. Some of them have meant something. Others have meant yeah. nothing at all. Yeah. Right. And, and you don't place any emphasis on those. Well, I mean, I, I think I it, it can be, yeah. I think it can be a signal because what it does is it affects sentiment. Yeah. And we're in a market now that is much more driven by individual investors than it ever has been before. So if there's going to be money that chases signals like that, it's now, right? So I think it does matter to some degree. I think the range that we're in is such and will remain such because there hasn't been a catalyst to the up or downside yet. And I think what the market is waiting for, which I covered in my note today, is that if the market went down, if we saw downside, it would come as a surprise to absolutely no one. Yeah, I think most people are expecting it, which interestingly and counterintuitively puts us in a place where positioning actually prevents it from going down because we're all ready for it to go down. And there's so much shorting out there that it's just not happening. Any little piece of positive news sends it up and then you get this kind of race to short cover or to catch it. So in some odd way, all of the bearish sentiment is actually preventing their from being a big drawdown in the near term. That's excellent. But I'm going to tell you, I listened to about half of that. And I'll tell you why. I just got an email <laughs> that came from the 10 Club from Pearl Jam, and they just announced a, a tour, a little mini tour 
uh, that's going to start August 31st, go through September 19th. So people, you are going to miss me on a few market calls. Cause wow. And you ready for this? This is amazing. They're doing Fort Worth and Austin, Texas. I will be going to both. I will be going to Chicago, Illinois. Also, um, they have this band called Inhaler that's opening for them. I saw Inhaler last month at the Hammerstein here in New York, the lead singer of Inhaler. And you guys have to go check this band out. If you kind of trust me on things and you should trust me on music, Something. Bono's son's band. He's the lead singer, huh. Inhaler, and they are awesome. What's and with Inhaler? Is the name like, like I don't know. asthma Inhaler? Uh, maybe, is but okay. but but that's the name. Of the, so so Pearl Jam, I can't wait. September and last September, you know, I saw Pearl Jam in four different cities. I do recall this uh, last yeah. September. So I'm going to yeah. be going to see them a lot um, again. All right, sorry about that, but I'm sure whatever you anyway, said. I made I'm sure very whatever you said. Points. I'm sure whatever you said was great. You're um, going to have to watch the replay. Let, let's look at this today because we are going to talk about Tesla and Tesla. You know, listen, you guys know I got a little. I got a little bug up my, you know what, about Tesla, Elon, and all that sort of stuff. But I think it's a really important stock from a sentiment standpoint. That's one reason why we spend a lot of time talking about it. And it's also not a small stock when you think about it, right? So this was a $580 billion market cap company. It was a $1.2 trillion market cap company at its highs in late 2021. Look at the NASDAQ here, okay? So in the next week and a half, we're going to have Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, um, you know, Meta, a handful of other things. I mean, th this stock as, as, or this, this chart of this ETF, the NASDAQ 100 here, or the index here, as Carter would say, is stuck. We're right here at 13,000. We did get above those early February highs. We realized why money moved into them during that banking turmoil that we had in March. It was perceived safety. They've gotten expensive. We've seen some data points. We talked about CDW yesterday. That was not great here. There was other data points in the tech ecosystem that don't sound particularly great. That 200-day moving average down there, 1,000 points below at 12,000. I mean, I, I got to think we test that in the not-so-distant future, Liz. And, and, you know, it wouldn't take it would just take a couple mediocre reports and some downward guidance, um, in my opinion, from a handful of those big names to really cause that thousand point move lower in the NDX. So I think that this is a yield story and it's not one dimensional, but I think it is a lot to do with what's happened with yields this year. We've obviously seen yields come way down from their peak earlier this year, which has driven again, that same muscle memory that investors have that low rates are good for stocks. And now we're seeing yields kind of march higher. And just remember what happened, the sequence of what happened. When the regional banking stuff went on, we went from thinking that there might be four more hikes this year to thinking that there could even be three cuts before the end of the year. And now we're back in a place where, okay, everybody seems pretty sure that the Fed's going to hike one more time and then that there would be one or two cuts by the end of the year. So it's come off of that sort of extreme narrative. But I think that these stocks, as yields march higher and into the next Fed meeting, if we keep these odds that the Fed is going to raise rates again, yes, I do think that they fail to really move any higher and they probably come down quite a bit, especially if we have some earnings that come out that are worse than expected. And I think that there is a threat that earnings are worse than expected because although we've heard a lot of cuts that these tech companies have made, they still have to at least report what their margins are doing. And we're going to know the facts pretty quickly on whether or not they have to cut more. And people can do the math on that pretty quickly. How much more might they have to cut? When will they have to do that? Probably in the second and third quarter. And then you extrapolate that out and then bring that into a bigger earnings picture. This quarter expected to be negative growth. Mm -hmm. Next quarter expected to be negative growth. Third quarter expected to be marginally positive, yeah. which means that the market expects that earnings bottom somewhere in that third quarter period. If things get worse, 
that's not where they bottom, yeah. right? The bottom gets pushed out further. The market has to react to that. Yeah, and that's a great point. You know, we were just talking about like a protracted bear market, which, which clearly happened 20 years ago, 2000 to that kind of low in 2003. And then even the November uh, 2007 highs to the April 2009 lows, that felt like a long period of time. And you could say, okay, well, the NASDAQ topped out in November of 2021, okay, made a mm-hmm. bottom in October-ish, you know, mm-hmm. it was still kind of banging along the low. So maybe that was one year. And that's the average time. You've given us a lot of data over the last year about the average decline. And, you know, mm-hmm. but, you know, Tony Dwyer over Canaccord, friend of ours, you know, he's made this point on Fast Money and our podcast is that, like, if you go back and look at every um, bear market, you look at every recession that corresponded in and around them, the market's never bottomed before the recession Correct. started. So that's that's a really interesting piece um, of data to me. And one thing I also want to make, and this is why I wanted to start this show today off about what you're hearing from your members as you talk to them, because again, a lot of them were new entrants to the markets during that 2020, 2021 period and not having been through difficult times, you know, um, it is interesting to gauge their sentiment. But you, while you've been cautious um, over the last, let's call it six months or so, you've also been constructive on different pockets in the market. And yeah. that's really important. And so, you know, sometimes there's a lot of strategists who are only top down, they're only macro, right? And they're not thinking bottoms up on the sector side or whatever. You are not that you don't have a year end target. You don't have an earnings estimate of this or whatever. And that's one of the reasons why I think you work so well with Guy and me putting our fast money hats on a little bit. And obviously you spend a lot of time with our friend Scott Wapner Mm -hmm. on the halftime report is you are able to really dig into the sectors and you can actually be overall bearish on the major indices, but you can be constructive on different parts of the market. So you wrote a post today. I know you knew Guy was not going to be here, <laughs> but you wrote a title for it, which you knew that if he were to happen to see it on Twitter or catch the market call, that he would be tweaked by the title. And it was whistle while you wait. This is all Snow White. Whole Snow White theme. So here's the thing. There's been this, this idea out there that if you're bearish, you just turn a switch off mm-hmm. and you're not invested. And that's not the case. It's not... The case where if you're cautious, you put everything in cash that's not yielding anything and just let it sit there. There are just other things that you buy in the meantime. And that's sort of the, well, we wait this out. There's a ton of uncertainty out there. I, I would take anybody on in that argument to say, try to tell me that there isn't a mounting wall of headwinds, a bunch of negativity that should actually be fighting against the market yet stocks continue to march higher, the VIX continues to march lower. So there are a lot of incongruencies that aren't necessarily making sense. Those are not the times when you should be throwing caution to the wind and investing in stocks when they seem overly priced, investing in high beta stuff, investing in the stuff that's worked for the last three weeks, because this feels like an environment, and I think it still is an environment, where we are ripe for intraday swings that are huge, intra-week swings that are huge, and you can get burned in that very quickly if you're not moving with it every minute of every day. So think of it as an in-between time while we try to confirm this. And one of the things that I've, I've looked at where even on the days where I've tried to convince myself, can I get bullish here? Let me try to get bullish because maybe I am missing something. You got to look at some of these signals, the chart that's up now. This is pretty simple stuff. S&P 500 and the NASDAQ have handily outperformed something like the small cap index. Now, I know that that's on a bingo card somewhere. Somebody just got it. The small cap index should, if this were 
a new bull market, a new economic expansion, should be at least in line with that rally, if not leading the rally. And that's not happening. There's another chart in here that shows a ratio, the copper to gold ratio. That's something that is a signal that some people talk about, but maybe individual investors don't hear it very often. If this were a cyclical expansion, this this ratio should be moving up. As you can see, it was kind of stuck in a range, recently moved quite a bit down because gold has caught such a big bid. This is not sending an expansionary signal, which is why, from a fundamental standpoint and from a signal standpoint, add that on to everything else, continuing jobless claims rising. We've got the WARN stuff that's rising, which means that jobless claims are probably going to continue to go up. Those signals do not get me to a point where I can say, yep, this is a buy and we're going to be headed up from here. At best, we're headed sideways, in my opinion. At best, we're headed sideways for a while until there's a catalyst. And I just don't see that as a buy zone. So what do you do in the meantime? You still do short-term treasuries. We've seen a march up in rates that's giving you another entry point. You still do gold. You still do utilities if you want to in the stock market. You can look at some strategies that are offering a nice yield, even a yield above short-term treasury yields. And the idea there is get paid while you wait out the uncertainty and until we know and until we find out that stocks are at a better valuation. Yeah, no, that that all makes perfect sense um, to me. And and again, you know, one of the reasons when we hear a lot of comments from um, a lot of our listeners, because sometimes, you know, Guy and I, you know, tend to kind of give some broad proclamations about the market and where we think we're going. I think we like to try to be constructive where we can and kind of pick out some things that could work in this environment. Guy certainly does probably a much better job um, at that than, than I do. Um, so, you know, I appreciate um, all of that, Liz. All right, let's go to what I think, let's just call it the disaster du jour. Um, and that would be- What's that? Tesla. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, I had no and idea. This is 420, and Elon likes to make a lot of jokes about 420. You know what the what that all means and everything like that. And you know, listen, this is one we've been talking about a lot, and a lot of people you're saying, guys, why do you spend so much time on this? And we kind of said why we did, but I also think that it was one of the most overinflated stocks that I've ever seen in my career in the business. I, I just I'm in 25 years, okay. And so I think the fundamentals are starting to come a little bit undone here. The stock's down nine percent as we speak, and I just kind of oh, this is kind of fun. This was Carter and me. I texted Carter the other day. I sent him a little chart because he is the chart master. Um, that was a screenshot of our text there. I sent him the chart. I just said horrible. And then look at, I did not know that Carl, uh, that, that Carter could use emojis the way he did. That's the, <laughs> that's the pukey emoji there. And so yesterday at 4.15, he said down mercifully. Um, so I just did a little bit of a thumbs down here. So listen, we all know what's going on. They keep cutting prices. There's margin compression here. Um, they have a lot of competition, specifically in China. Competition had been a major pillar of the bear case for many, many years. A lot of the bulls would say, ah, the GMs, the Fords, those OEMs, they're never going to catch up. Really, the issue is China, in my opinion. Okay. And so I've been saying this for weeks and weeks. It's a horrible chart. That is a horrible chart. It's about to take out the lows from um, about a month ago or so. I think it's going to fill in the gap to 150 where it gapped up during the January um, Q4 earnings report here. Look at this on a five-year basis. And just to be a little cheeky here, my price target to the downside is $69. I think if we break 150, I think we're going to head back to those January lows. And then who knows from there? I just want to recap a trade idea that I had in TSLQ. That is an inter, uh, in in 
It's the inverse ETF of Tesla. Okay, mm -hmm. this is back on April 6th. Today's April 20th. So two weeks ago, this is when the um, TSLQ was trading at 47.80. I bought the April 50, 55 call spread for a dollar. I bought one of the April 50 calls. I sold one of the April 55 calls. My break even's at $51. I can make up to $4 between 51 and 55 with a max gain above that. Okay, well, here we are right now. The ETF um, is trading at 43 33 um, we have a little bit of a typo here or excuse me 53 33 53 33 and this is worth about 330 so i paid one dollar for that okay so what i want to do here and you see where the etf is i actually want to roll this i think that you continue to press this thing to the downside i mm. think it's going to get to 150 and i just want to show you what the inverse chart of this tslq looks like listen that is a great looking chart. Okay. That I just want to tell you that, chart. right? Like, so I know it's the inverse of the Tesla. Um, so curious, Liz, thoughts on this is a name, a single name. I'm not asking you to opine mm. on the quarter, but from a sentiment standpoint, to have such an important leader. I mean, Elon Musk, he's got 134 million followers on Twitter. He tweets about everything. He is literally dictating a lot of the conversation that goes on, at least online, the memes and all that sort of stuff. I think it's important to know that his stock is not working well. It's down almost 60% from its all-time highs. And also the other company that he's a CEO of, $100 billion plus company, SpaceX, just put a rocket in the air that exploded. Then he's also sleeping on a cot in Twitter's headquarters. Oh, because he bought that for $44 billion and recently marked that down to $20 billion. Okay, this guy's got a lot going on yeah, here. Nothing's going well for him right now. People are locked into the memes. They're locked into this meme lord, which is the CEO of this company, which is obviously he's bitten off too much that he can chew. And right now, when you have a company that's seeing their backlog, okay, for orders decrease, you're seeing their inventories go up, you're seeing their pricing go down, you're seeing the profitability go down, right? So this is why the stock is down 9% today. That's all not good stuff when it comes to investing in stocks. And so like identifying inflection points in fundamentals of companies, especially very widely owned companies, which you just demonstrated to us, you know what I mean? That's really important. So that's why we've been trying to highlight this thing here. You know, it's not that I'm overly emotional and have some massive beef with Elon or anything like that. It's like, this is like, to me, for like the last, 15 months seemed like easy pickings. I'm just saying, you know, so for whatever that's worth. Okay. Um, let's move on a little bit here, but I'm rolling that trade to the May. Those That was in April, that expiration. I'm, I'm rolling that exposure to the May 53 calls in the TSLQ um, just for whatever that's worth here, people. All right, let's hit John Butters. He is the man, the myth, the legend. He is the senior earnings insight analyst over there at FactSet. We appreciate his work. He was on the market call last week with us. John is talking about net profit margins for the S&P 500 in his report that's going to drop tomorrow morning. Um, he is saying that this is, includes the actual and the estimated results, net profit margin for the S&P 500 in Q1 of 2023 is 11.2%, the net profit margin below the year ago, net profit margin and below the five-year average of 11.4%. Uh, if 11.2 is the actual net profit for the quarter, it will mark the seventh straight quarter of net profit margin declines and the lowest net profit margin since Q4 of 2020. Analysts expect 
net profit margins for Q2 2023, Q3 2023, and Q4 2023 to improve. And this is kind of what you were saying as far as what estimates are expected, mm -hmm. right? So we've mm -hmm. seen a lot of pressure on margins, supply chain issues, inflation, but we've seen the dollar come down. We've seen supply chain issues moderate a bit, inflation moderate. So that's your point here. But if we were to have a recession and if it's a worse scenario than people are pricing in, there is going to continue to be margin pressure here. And that's the one thing I also want to make about Tesla is that, you know, the gross margin on their automobiles, okay, was far less, a couple points lower than what expectations were. They're saying they're going to make it up in the back half of the year. If there's a weakening economy and there's less demand for their products and they keep lowering prices, those margins will not get better. They will get worse and it will justify a lower valuation for the stock. And that's what I would want to extrapolate based on John Butter's work, market list. So there's a saying where people make fun of, you know, strategists like me or yeah, economists. I do all the something time, along, daily. Something along the line. I know, I know, even directly to my face. I know. Sometimes and in text, text messages. Tweets. I'm going to start screenshotting the yeah. text messages oh, where you harass yeah, me. Yeah, we just did just that. That was up. amazing, right? Yeah, I'm going to put it in a column <laughs> maybe. Anyway, uh, there's a saying something about, you know, oh, the recession is always about six months out and that we would continue to kick it down the road and say, oh, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Eventually we're going to be right. There's a similar sentiment, and I'm not saying this about Tesla, I'm saying this about every company, when you talk about, oh, it'll get better, right? And a lot of times you hear, well, the second half of the year is going to be better than the first, especially if the first is feeling like crap. Back half loaded. Yeah. Or if you're, let's say we're in the second half of the year, it's like, okay, we just got to get through the second half. The first half of next year is going to be great, right? So it's this constant, just push it out. Everything's going to get better later. The thing about margins, and I'm obsessed with margins right now because it's just math. It yeah. literally is just math. If inflation falls, revenue falls. If demand falls, revenue falls. That's just how it works. And we are expecting weaker revenue growth across the board this year. So it's difficult, if not impossible, to expand your earnings, to grow your earnings, unless you've cut costs enough and fast enough to make up for that revenue drop. Right. And the chances of companies having done that, number one, because it's really difficult to time that properly. But number two, because they probably are some of them, perhaps, a little overly optimistic about what the future may look like, mm -hmm. to my point earlier. Mm -hmm. If that's the case, many of them probably haven't cut costs enough. And that means margins come down even further. And to wrap that all up with a bow on it, one of the arguments coming into this that we were going to have a new bull market or that you could be bullish is that profit margins are so fat, they can absorb a little bit of pain and it'll be fine. Well, what happens if profit margins come back down to not being so fat? Yeah. Then how does that story play out? And it plays out in companies not doing as well and the market being surprised by it. Yeah. And listen, I think that interestingly enough, we have an S&P that's up 8% of the year. We have a NASDAQ that's up 16% and NASDAQ 100 that's up 20%. I think it's kind of you know, incorporating a lot of good news. It's incorporating that, like to your point, that we might have seen the trough as far as margins and, and we might have seen the peak in inflation and we might have seen the peak in rates, right? And so to me, I just, that goes back to a, a sub-17 VIX. Um, I don't see, especially considering the volatility we continue to see in the bond market, I just don't see that happening mm -hmm. before we get a little bout of fear. And I think that's going to come very quickly as we get through the meat of Q1 earnings season. So um, stay tuned, people, to Market Call. Ooh. And the other thing I'll just say, you know, John, his work is is really good. And we talk about these things. It may might sound like we're getting in the weeds a little bit, but these are the nuts and bolts of what how investors are putting 
big money to work and, and why they might you know say that's it we bottomed so keeping an eye on some of these trends and margins and some of these um, components to earnings are really important so you can follow John at insight.factset.com and you'll find the earnings insight blog you can sign up for it get it to your email box you can also follow FactSet um, on the Twitter all right Liz we got a couple other things before we get out of here really quickly <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing at the comment that says I have a Windows laptop yeah, it's diet. embarrassing. Yeah. All right, let's hit um <laughs> let's hit American Express here. Um you know, they had a they they reported and it was pretty good and they're talking about really a high-end consumer that continues to spend. But Liz, one of the things I thought was really interesting is that they're um you know, they're adding to their reserves for loan losses, okay? Mm -hmm. So they kind of see some of the storm clouds that some of the um other lenders and and again, you know, at a kind of lower let's say quality um you know price point or or, or credit you know what i mean that they've already been taking reserves we've heard some cof and, and and you know capital one and stuff like that so when you start seeing max spending but also reserves going up it maybe gets your antennas up a little bit I, if we can pull up a, a american express chart um this is really funny i did for 10 years a show on cnbc called options action i hadn't done it since i think December of 2019. And you see that gap in the Amex chart. The week before that, I went on options action for the first time in two and a half years or something like that, or three years. And I gave a trade idea on American Express. I used options. I defined my risk. I, you know, was bearish. Um, and look at that gap. I mean, that was like yeah. one of the biggest one day moves. Now, how dumb was I? It was a trade. I was risking a couple percent of the stock price and it got eviscerated here. I had that trade on. It wasn't good. But look at this now. It's kind of interesting just to think here we are two months later, or you know what I mean, or something like that, three months later, and the stock is totally round trip. The fundamentals haven't changed. The company actually put up a pretty decent report. And it just kind of shows you a lot of this is positioning, a lot of it's set up. I look at the uptrend that's been in place today. It held that. It bounced off. It bounced off its 200-day. So maybe it continues to be a constructive technical chart. But fundamentally, I want to keep an eye on this. Thoughts on some, some of the headlines about American Express? I mean, it's something, if we think about consumer spending and just the amount of credit card debt that had yep. risen since the end of last year, it certainly sent off alarm bells in my head because at some point people can't sustain that, especially at rates, credit card rates, if they're carrying balances, which we found out that they were carrying balances at rates that are the highest they've been in such a long time. It Something's got to give, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I feel that way about a lot of things. But American Express is a higher end consumer, so maybe it doesn't give as quickly. And you know what? Honestly, this is kind of similar to if you think about the housing market and how prices haven't come down and why is that? And even as mortgage rates went up, prices haven't come down. I think there's probably a lot more all cash buyers out there that are not sensitive to rates, right? So then you've got something like American Express or any company that really is looking at the higher end consumer. If they're not suffering, they're still spending and yeah. the data is going to look okay until that changes. Now, the fact that not only American Express, but other you know big banks, even medium-sized banks, are enhancing their loan loss reserves, expecting there to be some sort of downtick in credit. I think that's prudent, and I think that's smart, and I would expect the same as the year goes on. Yeah. Um, here, here's an interesting one. Last thing here again, and I think this is kind of important to keep a, an eye on because we've talked about semis, um, you know, very cyclical in nature, but there's also a lot of supply chain issues, there's a lot of reshoring issues. There's a whole host of issues as it relates to our dealings with China and the ban on, um, you know, advanced chips to China, TSMC, that's Taiwan Semiconductor. They had a slightly disappointing outlook. This is after the company actually a few months ago also gave a disappointing outlook. The stock rallied a lot. I think investors 
producers were kind of suggesting that maybe the worst is behind him. And, you know, this feels like a little bit like death by a thousand cuts here. And the stock is up, you know, 4% today. It's got the SMH up one and a half percent. And I think this is a really interesting one. I mean, when this company bottomed, you know, the stock bottomed at bottom right where it should have at the breakout level going back to late or mid 2020 there um after a very precipitous drop you know it looked like a double top from that 140 level um and then went from 60 to 100 here we are at 87 bucks or something like that and again you know if i i listen i think things are going to get dialed up or continue to get dialed up with china i think taiwan semi is going to be really at the crosshairs I, I don't get why this stock trades the way it does Held its 200-day here. It seems like a pretty decent technical level. Fundamentally, I don't want to be there. Thoughts on semis and what this might mean, Liz, a little bit. Because if you also, here's another point. I just want to pull up the SMH here. Um, this thing has been in a really nice uh, uptrend here. And as long as, I guess, it holds that uptrend, fine. But if it breaks, it's going back to that 200-day moving average down there, 222. Yeah, and I think it could get there pretty quickly. A few weeks ago, my final trade on halftime was to sell semiconductors. Um, they are they've they've been struggling a little bit in recent weeks. I stand by that. I think you know we, we've seen a pretty big run up because of rates, because of the uh, optimism and growth stocks. But always remember, semiconductors are the cyclical component of tech. So in order to keep my thesis consistent and think it all the way through to the end, if I do believe that there's a cyclical contraction coming or an economic contraction coming, which would be part three of this three-part series, then semiconductors get hit in that. Yeah. And it's it's not a place for an entry point, certainly not an entry point that I'd be looking at. Uh, I would wait for a pullback first. But that being said, you probably want to buy semis before you buy the rest of tech yeah. on a bounce, yeah. right? Because if they're cyclical, they come out of it faster. Um, so that would be right around the same time that if you hear me start getting bullish on things like financials, industrials, consumer discretionary, semis are probably in that camp. Yeah. And just one last point here is that, you know, we, we saw that IDC data a couple, I guess about a week and a half ago on PC shipments. Apple's was, was the worst down 40%. And if we were to see that kind of happen a little bit, or excuse me, not happen, but if we were to see that sort of similar sort of weakness, we're not going to see down 40% in handsets. Okay. But mm. that that wouldn't be great. And Taiwan Semi is is a huge manufacturer, um, you know, for a lot of the major OEMs. So just keep an eye on that as we get into the meat of big tech earnings next week. All right, Liz, that's going to do it for Market Call. Thanks for being here in the studio. We want to yep. thank our sponsors. That would be FactSet. And then uh, obviously, SoFi, get your money right all in one app. And and, and maybe it's on an Apple uh, you know, handset <laughs> that, uh, that, that app Apple works devices. on. All right. Well, we appreciate you being here. We appreciate all of you listening. We appreciate all your comments. So we're going to get to some of your questions. Hopefully we incorporated a bunch of them into our conversation here. Guy and I will be back on Market Call with Carter Braxton Worth on Monday at 1 p.m. Liz, Guy, and I are going to do a look ahead for the week on, on the tape. Uh, that is going to drop uh, Monday afternoon. Also, guys, if you're watching this on the YouTube and you have not subscribed to the Risk Reversal Media uh, YouTube channel, just kind of hit that uh, subscribe button, like us, leave a leave a comment. Um, things growing very nicely. We're pretty happy about that. Um, so, share it with your friends, also. You know, all right. So, thanks a lot, Liz, for being here. Thanks for all of you being here. Have a great long weekend, people. <laughs>